Hey everybody. This is House of Hope podcast series, presented by Gotham and House of Hope. Today's sermon is Successful Christian Living Part 18. The Christian and the Holy Spirit, 2, by Deacon Oleg Benga Adalola. Thank you for being here this morning. And for those joining online, welcome to House of Hope, a place where hope becomes a manifestation. Amen. A place that is only led by the Holy Spirit. So say to someone next to you and tell the person that the Lord has ordered your steps here this morning. Talk to somebody else and tell the person, the Lord has ordered your steps here this morning. Amen. Amen. And as we did the last time, let's say this to ourselves. Let's make a self-proclamation. I would hear what the Lord has to say to me today. All right. I will hear what the Lord has, uh, is going to say to me today. Amen. So welcome again. Um, this morning, again, it's the Spirit of God is going to speak to you. This is not my message. I'm just here standing um, on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, we began our focus on the Christian and the Holy Spirit. We laid the foundation and we looked at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We looked at the working of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit from the Old Testament. And we looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit as spoken by Jesus Christ himself. Amen. We made emphasis, and I quote, that the importance of the Holy Spirit to successful Christian living cannot be overemphasized. The Holy Spirit empowers the believer to live victoriously daily. As a matter of fact, no one can live the Christian life without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit. We therefore said that we cannot survive the Christian life without him. We then asked ourselves, what does this really mean? Like, what does this mean? And I shared what I took from that statement. Um, and I said that to me, it means if I'm living a defeated life as opposed to a victorious life, um, it therefore means that I'm living without the consistent or the constant help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If I'm constantly rising and falling. Uh, and we said, if this statement is true, which I believe we believe is true, then why don't we consistently ask for the help of the Holy Spirit? And I said, maybe perhaps we are now the center of our lives. Because if we know that this life we're living no longer belongs to us and it belongs to Christ, therefore it's a Christian life, then we will always consistently ask for the Holy Spirit for him to help us to live the life that Christ has called us to live. Amen. We later went on to establish that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. Uh, and we said that he's called the paraclete, as described by Jesus Christ himself the comforter, the advocate, and we, you know, shared some things from, uh, you know, from theology or from Greek. We said that the word in the Greek is called uh, parakletos, which comes from two words. The first word there is para, which means alongside. The second word there is kletos, which means to call in, which gives us the picture of somebody who is calling to assist us or called in to aid us. And I later shared that the Lord wanted me to tell someone here that the Lord is telling you that he is alongside you all the time and it dwells within you, that who else do you need, or what else do you need? He's reassuring you this morning that if he's inside of you and he's always alongside of you, then whatever situation or circumstance that you may not even know in your life, he already knows. And if, he's, if he is your comforter, then who else or what else do you need? Amen. We went on to see that the Holy Spirit was there from the beginning in creation. In Genesis, we read, um, that creation did not begin until we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of the deep. 
Then God said, let there be light. Amen. We read in the gospels as well, uh, I believe it was in the book of Matthew, how at the Jordan, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, we saw that the Holy Spirit appeared as a dove upon him. We heard the voice of the father say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, this example may not be from the Old Testament, but it's still from the dispensation of the law because even the gospels, when Jesus Christ lived here, it's in the New Testament, but he still lived under the law. The new, t- I mean, the, the dispensation of grace actually started when the Holy Spirit came down and that's what we see in the book of Acts, amen. We also went on to establish that, or we give some examples of the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw how he was able to give Joseph the ability to interpret the dream that Pharaoh had that nobody else, no other spiritual or physical intelligence had, amen. We saw some other examples in the Bible where the Holy Spirit gave actual physical power or prowess to be able to defeat enemies, the power to prophesy, We saw how when David was anointed king, the Holy Spirit came upon David because of that which God had called him to do. Amen. We also saw the example of the immaculate birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, where uh, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary. The angel spoke to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to the Savior. And we said that even in our journey of salvation, we see that the Holy Spirit had to be there so that Jesus Christ could be born. If he wasn't born, he wouldn't be able to go to the cross, to die for our sins, to be buried, and to ascend to heaven. Amen. So we see that the Holy Spirit has always been active. Right from the beginning, he's always played his place, and he's always been part of the Godhead. Amen. Then we later on saw, uh, or we read in the Bible, the prophecy from the prophet uh, Joel, um, letting us know that in the latter days, the work of the Holy Spirit is going to be much greater than it is that it was in the Old Testament. Amen. And then finally, we read in the Bible how Jesus himself promised the Holy Spirit as the helper that will abide with us forever, not temporarily like in the Old Testament. We saw that when God wanted to do something, when it was a particular purpose, it was a particular plan, the Holy Spirit will come upon that person to fulfill that particular purpose for that particular time. But God's plan was always for the Holy Spirit to dwell on the inside of us. Amen. He said after resurrection that he will send the promise of the Father upon the disciples who will be the first partakers. Um, And then at his ascension, he said to the disciples, uh, they will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Amen. We then concluded that if Jesus Christ himself said these things and he said that he will send us a helper, that when he was saying these things, he wasn't being suggestive. It wasn't like this is a nice to have. So you may need the Holy Spirit on the Monday. So just, it's going to be there for you. No, it's because he knew that we needed the Holy Spirit consistently every single day, every second of our lives, not just on the Sunday, not just when we need to pray, not just when we need something, because he is a being that dwells on the inside of us. So it wasn't a nice to have, it wasn't a suggestion. It was something that he was saying. If he didn't think that we needed the Holy Spirit, he wouldn't have sent him to us. Amen. All right. And also share that my belief is that as the Lord is leading us through this focus of this series, that our prayer lives will change in the sense of the things that we pray for and how we pray, uh, because everything that we do or our Christian life centers around the operation of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we continue our focus on the Christian and the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be talking about or sharing 
the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life. Amen. Last week, we also said that, you know, why, why successful Christian living? Why is it even important? Like, what's, what, what's the whole point of this? Um, yes, it was our general overseer that asked us to, to read through this, but I believe that, you know, at this point in time, God is reminding us that while we may be living this life that we just here on earth, one, it's not ours. Secondly, it's a temporary life. And there's another life after this, which is determined by what we do in this point of our time in this life. It's easy for us to go by day to day, you know, go to work, go to school, be home. But we forget that there's actually somebody who is looking at us. There's somebody who we are going to be accountable for or accountable to when we leave this earth. And it's how we walk our lives in this part of the earth that determines the things that will happen to us on the other side. Amen. So, and I read, um, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ not only intended that believers should know about the Holy Spirit, but that they should be indwelt by Him. He said, and I'm reading from 1 John chapter, sorry, reading from John 14, 17, and I read, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. Also, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul said to the Corinthian believers, excuse me, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So we see in these two scriptures, our Lord Jesus Christ Christ saying to us that um, the Holy Spirit is there, yes, but not everybody can see him. Not everybody can know him. And seeing him or perceiving him or understanding that there's a God precedes knowing him and spending time with him. And um, he talks about the fact that, like we showed last week, that he's going to dwell not just with us, but in us. And I was saying that I don't think there's any closer intimacy than for somebody to be on the inside of you. I haven't seen any other kind of relationship that is closer than someone living on the inside of you. Amen. And it says here that every believer received the Holy Spirit at the time of regeneration. Last week in Sunday school, we talked about regeneration and the believer and what that is meant to be or what that is meant to entail and what that is meant to look like. And regeneration happens in the life of the believer only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It says we cannot be born again without the Spirit's work in the heart of a sinner who is already, who is ready to be saved. And I read from John 3, chapter 5. John 3, chapter 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And in Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, let's read this together. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, again, in reference, it says, let's read together. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Amen. And that's really just a repetition. Abba means father in, in the Hebrew. So we're just saying father. Um, so being a member of the family of God um, is, or being born of the Spirit, I should say, is a requisite 
for being a member of the family of God. You receive the spirit of adoption the moment you were born again, therefore become the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. We know that wherever God dwells in is holy. Amen? Amen? So if God dwells in a temple, if God dwells on the inside of me or the inside of you and inside of us, that place is holy because he is there. Amen. And, and reading on, um, it says that, of course, gives you the responsibility of keeping your body holy, sanctified and presented as a living sacrifice. So let's read the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Um, I think we should read this together as well. Let's go. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And it goes on to verse 2 to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of what? Your mind, which is that good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Amen. And then in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, uh, let's read this together again. It says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which you are. Let's personalize this. If God defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God, which is holy, which temple I am. Amen. So it is important for us to understand that while the process of regeneration is instant, the process of transformation is progressive. The day you become a believer, you are a believer. God dwells on the inside of you. But as read in the book of Romans, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That tells us, and I believe it has been said here many times, that while it is up to the Lord to save us and for you to become a believer, who or whatever you become after you become saved is completely dependent on who? On me. Why I become, since I've been a believer, is dependent on me because the work of regeneration has already happened, but in order for my life to be transformed, for in order for my life to align with what God wants me to do, I have to subject myself to the will of God. I have to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. I have to spend time reading the work of God so my mind can be renewed, so I can see things in a different way, so that I can be transformed and be more like Christ. And we're talking this Sunday school this morning about, um, you know, being dead to sin, dead to self, uh, crucifying the old self, and living in, Christ, living in love for Christ. None of these things can be done of our own power. None of these things can be done in my own energy. None of these things can be done in any kind of philosophy. The only thing or the only place where this is done is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can even remember that uh, there was a message from convention, uh, the personal necessities for attaining greater works in ministry. How many people remember that message? We should have listened to it multiple times by now. Amen? Do we remember that message? What are the three things that the minister of God said? There was number one, shift in mindset, right? Second thing was dying to self. And the third thing was knowing God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's important to know that while we have a new heart, the heart of flesh constantly, like we read this morning, is against the Spirit of God. How is that in a practical sense, right? I want to do something right. 
but then I feel a different way. Or I feel like I should do this, but I know that I should not be doing those things. Why is that always the case? I mean, well, maybe I'm the only one that has this kind of struggles, but it's because we are in a physical body and this physical body is dead. God cannot save this body, which is why when we go to heaven, we're not going to go with this body because it's a dead body. And for us, the only way we can win that war is to subject ourselves or subject this flesh to obedience to God, which is why we do prayer and fasting. That's one way to do it because you subject your body and you don't just fast, you fast and you pray. Amen. Um, and it's also important to understand that um, I can deceive myself. I can really deceive myself. We can all deceive ourselves. People can deceive me. But the one person who cannot deceive you is the Holy Spirit. And why is that important? Because, you know, I've heard many times, you know, men say, and it's, and it's good to say these things. It's fine. I'm not, I'm not doubting it. But it's good to say, you know, I have confidence in myself. I, I know myself. I fully understand. I know what I can do. You know, maybe because you haven't faced a temptation that will let you know that you don't really know who you are. Let's read the book of Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And I, let's read. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Let's also read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. If we go up a little bit in that same um, chapter, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, but this time reading verses 10 through 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. All right, and I read. It says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even someone knows the things of God, except the Spirit of God. Now we have received, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been given, have been freely given to us by God Almighty. So this tells me that if we're in the process of transformation, and it depends mostly on us to, to yield to the Spirit of God, and man is despitefully wicked, and we can only know so much of ourselves, it means that we should be praying more that the Holy Spirit show us who we are. That the Holy Spirit show us where we think, you know, what we, what we think we are is not always what we are from our spiritual journey. How we live our life on an everyday basis, viewed from the eyes of man or viewed from our own personal eyes, may be, may be good. We may check all the boxes as far as the things that we think that we should be doing. But only the Holy Spirit knows all things. Only the Holy Spirit searches all things. So it's important that as believers, we ask the Holy Spirit who was on the inside of us. Read in the scripture, it says, who can know someone more than is on the inside of him? And if the Spirit is on the inside of us, who can know us more than the Holy Spirit himself? So it tells me that we need to spend more time in asking the Spirit of God to show us who we are, to show us where we are. Amen. 
Um, and I go on and I read. It says, in the past, during the Old Testament times, God dwelt in the tabernacle. In Exodus 25, verse 8, uh, Exodus 25, verse 8, verse 8 says, And let them make a sanctuary for me, that I may dwell among them. And I read, And then, later he dwelt in the temple built in Jerusalem. But where does he dwell now? Where does he dwell now? Inside me, inside you, inside us. He dwells in you as a Christian. The Bible says in John 3, verse 22b, 24b, excuse me, uh, John 3, verse 24b, it says, Christ in you, the hope, sorry, I'm sorry, I, I misquoted that. It's in Colossians 1.27. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in the epistle of John 3.24b, it says, And by this we know that he abides in us, the spirit whom he has given us. And I also read, it says, this is one of the areas where the Christian religion supersedes the other world's religions in that in the Christianity alone, he that is worshipped lives on the inside of the worshipper. People can create uh, objects and people can create things to worship, um, but I would like to see how those things can come on the inside of them and live there. Um, I, I've, I've, I've yet to see that. I mean, maybe that's possible, but I don't, I don't know how that is. Um, but even besides that, we know that, again, it's an unpopular opinion, but it's the truth in the word of God, that all other religions today exist just to deny that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the only reason why they exist. Um, so we're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in a Christian life. Since we've established that the Holy Spirit is here on the inside of us, he's here for a purpose, we cannot live our lives as believers without the Holy Spirit, then what exactly is the work that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing in your life, was supposed to be doing in my life? Because we know God is a purposeful life, so he didn't just come and say, I want to live on the inside of Uluwingatololola so I can just chill. No, he's there for a purpose. Amen. So let's read. It says, first, every Christian should believe the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a thing, not a phantom, um, not some kind of, you know, thing that is, that is, you know, we cannot understand. But he is a person, somebody who has a personality, somebody who is a being just like you and myself. He is the third person of the Trinity. We already established this last week. He has divine attributes. And we're going to list some of, we're going to share some of the divine attributes that the Spirit of God has or that he has. Um, so again, we're going to be reading multiple scriptures because it's the Lord that is speaking to us this morning. Um, and he himself would explain those scriptures to us. Amen. So let us read Hebrews 9 verse 14. And I read, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without a spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. This scripture says that the Spirit of God is eternal and self-existent. And that's one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit in that he is self-existent and that he's eternal. Those are the attributes of God, right? We know God does have a beginning, does have an ending. He's been there, the Ancient of Days, 
From the beginning, he was there. In the end, he will be there. He has neither a beginning, he has neither an end. So God lives in, in eternity, and that's one of the attributes of God. Amen. The second attribute, let's read in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make a bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This talks about the Holy Spirit's omnipresence. It says, where can I hide from your spirit? Um, you know, we've all played hide and seek when we're young, at least for those of us who had a good childhood. Um, <laughs> just kidding, right? There's so many, there's only so many places you can hide until whoever is looking for you will find you. Um, even on this earth, there's only so many places you can find, or can hide before some three-letter or four-letter agency finds you. Don't mention their names, so I don't get censored. Um, but that's the truth, right? There's only some places you can hide in this physical earth. I mean, you can probably try to go to the moon, but you may not have that kind of money to go yet. But we're talking about the Spirit of God and His omnipresence. It says, even in hell, where it's, you, know, you don't expect to, to see God there, God can reach you there. So I don't know where you are today in your relationship with God, how far away you think that you are. At least you're not yet in hell. So God can still reach you. So remember that if you're watching online, that no matter how far you've gone, God's presence sees you where you are. He knows where you are. And because of his love for you, he's calling you back today. Amen. Let's also read, um, share another attributes of God. Uh, so let's read Luke 135. Uh, and I read, and it says, And the angel answered, and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And in Acts chapter 10, 38, it says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This talks about the omnipotence of the Spirit of God, all-powerful, able to deliver those who were sick, who were oppressed by the devil. He was able to deliver them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and in Luke, we talked about, you know, we shared this last week, about how the power of the Holy Ghost was able to come upon a woman in order for Jesus Christ to be born in the physical body. Another attribute of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be sharing today. Um, all right, we've already read this, but uh, in 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 10 and 11, we read this already, but it says, But God has revealed to them, revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. John 14, 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I have said to you. So that means what? He knows all things. So it's, um, he's omniscient. He's omniscient, I should say. 
the Holy Spirit knows all things. And then the last attribute, and these are all divine attributes that we're going to, um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Psalm 104 verse 30. It says, you send forth your, whole, your spirits. They are created and you knew the face of the earth. This just goes to corroborate what we read in the book of Genesis, that even at the beginning, at creation, the Holy Spirit of God was there. So a divine attribute of the Holy Spirit is being the creator. Amen. So we've been able to see what scripture talks about the Holy Spirit and him being a person, him being omnipresent, him being um, um, omnipotent, him being omniscient, and him being the creator. So the Holy Spirit has every single attribute that we can ascribe to God because he is God. Amen. Um, and it goes on to say here, and I'm going to read, it says, there are references in the Bible that prove the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person. He has personal names such as the Spirit of God. So let's read 1 Corinthians 3, um, 16. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells on the inside of you? Amen. Then, in Genesis 1-2, which we already read before, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see that being translated as the Spirit of God. It's a person. Um, in the original text, if you look at it, you know, if, for, those who are, if for those who are interested, um, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Greek, it's called pneumatheos or the breath of God, but that's what is translated in the New Testament. And in Genesis, um, in the Hebrew, it's called Rock Elohim. That's what we see in the Old Testament. His second personal name, so the Spirit of God is a personal name. It's not something that you attach to just any random person. His second personal name is the Spirit of Christ. So let's read the book of Romans 8, 9. It says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Again, 1 Peter 1.11, he says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. So this is another personalization, another person of the Holy Spirit, the person of Christ, or Numa Christos, which just means the breath of Christ. Amen. The last personal name, so the first personal name of, um, of the Holy Spirit is what? The Spirit of God. Second one is what? The Spirit of Christ. And then the last one is the Holy Promise, so the Holy Spirit of Promise. We're reading in, uh, from Ephesians 1, chapter 13. Ephesians 1, 13 says, in him you have also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In Acts 2, 33, and I read, it says, excuse me, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. Amen. Again, for those who might be interested, in Ephesians 1, it's uh, the Holy Spirit of promise is Numa 
Epaglia, and in Acts, it's Hagios Numa, which just means holy, holy breath. So having realized that the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person, the Christian would now know what his or her attitude to the Holy Spirit should be, right? If you're dealing with a person and you know who that person is, then that will dictate how you address that person. For example, if, I don't know, if the governor or somebody were here, the way you relate with the governor would be different than how you relate with your friend. Why? Because you know the person or how that person is. The way you relate with somebody who is your friend or is close to you is more intimate than how you relate with that person. Is, is that true or false? All right. So if we know the Holy Spirit, we know his personage, who he is, then that should dictate, and what he's meant to do in our lives, that should dictate how we relate to him as a person. So we're going to be going through a number of these things here in who the Holy Spirit is to us. So the very first thing that we, are, we have here is that he teaches the Christian the true interpretation of the word of God. Um, I mean, that may sound trivial. It's like, okay, yeah, well, it means the word of God. I mean, who cannot understand the word of God? Uh, but we even just read, you know, that it's the Holy Spirit that teaches us, you know, all things, right? According to John 14, 26. 26. Um, and it is when the word of God is properly understood that it yields fruits. Right? It yields fruits, right? It's easy for us to come here, you know, share the word of God, know it, understand it. But it's only the word of God that yields a fruit that is actually something that is properly understood, right? How do you show that you properly understand something when, you, you know, when you're in school, right? You know, they give you a test and it's how you apply it. So it's how you apply what you know that truly tells you or whoever else that you know that thing. Without the application of what is understood, how can you tell that you understand that thing? Amen. So let's read Matthew 13, verse 23. Um, Matthew 13, verse 23. It says, but, no, sorry. Uh, yes, but he who received the seed of the word on the ground, on the good ground, is he who hears the word and understands it, bears and produces fruit. Um, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Right? So it is the Holy Spirit who gives the real meaning to the words we read in, the, in our Bible. Uh, I shared the last time that, you know, even the Bible, you know, the New Testament is reading, written in Greek, you think that, okay, therefore that means that, you know, the whole of Greece would understand the word of God and it'll be on fire. But that's not the case, right? Because it's not about a physical, it's not about a faith value interpretation. It's about an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is the only one that can tell us or help us understand what the word of God says, then we need him to understand what the word of God says, even after we have been regenerated. Amen. We already read, um, no, we didn't read this. First Corinthians chapter two, verse 13. Um, and Paul is saying here, he says, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual um, and this is Paul who we can, you know, or we know uh, as being inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote most of the, the New Testament. Uh, 
But even him had to testify that it wasn't because he was learned, because he was a very learned uh, man. It wasn't because he was learned. It was because the Holy Spirit, he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit opens his eyes, he's able to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. So it wasn't because he had attained some kind of level of, of literacy or academic prowess or something like that. No, God chose him by grace and God used him to speak to us. But even him had to sit down and look at the word of God and say, hey, what is God saying here? What is Holy Spirit saying here? And comparing one thing to another thing. Um, and it says that you cannot apply the word unless you understand it. And you cannot understand unless the Holy Spirit teaches you. When you open your Bible, give the Holy Spirit a chance to interpret the word to you. With the Holy Spirit in you, you will understand the word and he will also give you remembrance to the word. The same Holy Spirit who led the holy men to write the Bible longs to lead us to understand it. 2 Timothy 3.16. probably where we're going to end. 2 Timothy 3.16. Let's read it together. It says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. For what good work? Every good work. Amen. Um, it's interesting to note too that, you know, what is translated as the inspiration of God here that we shared earlier is, is the same word that was translated as the Holy Spirit, pneumatheos. So we can actually even say all scripture is given by the Holy Spirit. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Um, before we end um, today, because again, this is about the Holy Spirit. It's not about um, a message or anything else. We'll continue the next time um, that the Lord, um, you know, as, as the Lord pleases. I want us to just, you know, just pray this morning. Um, the prayers are not on the screen. I'm just going to read them slowly. Um, but based on what we've, what the Lord has spoken to us today and, you know, the things that we have received, I think that, you know, some prayers are, are, are important. So the first thing we're going to ask the Lord or ask the Holy Spirit today, because the Holy Spirit, we said the Holy Spirit knows all things. He searches all things. And it's because he's dwelling on the inside of us able to live the Christian life. Our first prayer point is that we should ask the Holy Spirit to expose to us every God or every idol that we have erected in our hearts, in our life, centered around ourselves. Again, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to expose to us every God or every idol that we have erected in our hearts, in our lives, centered around ourselves. It's very easy. It could be comfort. It could be ideology. It could be politics. It could be profession. It could be relationships. But if the Holy Spirit is meant to be the comforter, is meant to be the center of our lives, then those things have become idols. And if we say we can't know ourselves without the help of the Holy Spirit, then we need to ask him to help us to know ourselves. So let us pray, Lord. We ask this morning, oh Lord, that you help us. The little things that we have erected, big things we have erected in our hearts as idols that are not of you, oh Lord, that are hindering us from living this Christian life 
in its in its true power and in its true in, in its truth, O oh Lord. Expose these things to us. Let us pray. It's not by power, not by might, Lord, but it's by your spirit. Oh Lord, as we walk with you, Holy Spirit, we yield ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to you. Expose these things to us. These things that we have turned our eyes or we've become blind to or we've intentionally ignored that have become idols in our lives, whether it's money, whether it's success, whatever it is, Lord, we ask you that you expose these things in our hearts, Lord. And as a follow on to that, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to center our hearts on His leading. Let's ask the Spirit of God to center our hearts on His leading. Not our leading, not the leading of media, not the leading of the news, not the leading of profession, not the leading of our feelings, not the leading of the zeitgeist, but on the leading of the Holy Spirit alone. As He's leading this church, He should also lead us individually. Let us pray. Oh Lord, help us to center our lives around You, O oh Lord. Help us to center our lives around Christ. Around you, around your leading alone. Not, the, not, the any, not any other voices that are around us that are speaking to us on a daily basis, whether it's on TV, whether it's on the internet, whether it's on our phone, whether it's via text messages. Let no other voice supersede your voice in our lives, Holy Spirit. Let no other voice supersede your voice. Let your voice take preeminence in our hearts. Let your voice take preeminence in our hearts. Lead us in the way that we need to go so that we can be in alignment with the word and the, with the word and the will of God this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Spirit of God, for hearing us this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you because you are the one who is able to do that which God wants in our hearts, in our lives this morning. And we just thank you. We yield ourselves to you this morning in reverence. And we thank you that this would take us, that our walk with you would, would be transformative. It will transform our walk with you, our walk as Christians here on earth completely beyond just our gathering here, but in everything that we do as we go forth this week, Lord. Just thank you, we give you glory. Amen. Amen. Before we leave here today, if you're joining us online, if you're joining us here, like we said, the Lord has ordered your steps. Um, we're talking about, uh, Jesus Christ said that only those who see the Holy Spirit and know Him can receive Him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall have an everlasting life. And 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him you may be saved. So if you yet to meet or have an encounter with Christ, like we said, there's no way you can hide from God. There's no way you can run away from Him. So He's there with you right now and He's calling you and He's speaking to you this morning. So if you want to, you know, we share that it's only by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, by being born again, that you can become a part of God's, of God's family. So if you want to become part of God's family this morning, I'm going to lead you in prayer. The word of God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. 
So let's just really join a prayer this morning. Let us pray. It says, and just say, with an open heart, God can see you. I just say, Father, I come to you now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that he's the son of God. And I believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again on the third day and he seated with you in heaven. I received the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus this morning and I accept him as my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen, hallelujah. If you said that prayer, you are now a member of God's family. God bless you. But remember, regeneration is only the very first step. You should be transformed. So if you're not attending a Bible-believing church, please go ahead and find one as the Spirit of God leads you. God bless you. Amen. If you're in the Washington, D.C. region, visit in person at our address. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us in our social media. God bless you.